On today's episode, I talk with Craig about growing up in a church that threatened him with hell every week, grieving after the death of his father, addiction as a response to suffering, and how attachment theory might shape theology. You are listening to Through a Glass Darkly, the podcast about following Jesus while living with a mental illness. Craig and I went to McMaster Divinity College together, a seminary in Hamilton, Ontario. With his dreads and his dark sense of humor, he definitely stood out, and we bonded over our shared love of what is commonly referred to as screamo music. Unfortunately, we lost touch after seminary, but since then he has worked with a number of different communities experiencing homelessness, substance use disorder, and mental illness. He is now a registered psychotherapist, currently working in the Adult Outpatient Mental Health Program at the Mississauga Hospital, and so he has a very unique perspective when it comes to understanding the connection between faith and mental illness. Just a warning, our conversation includes a few swear words. So Craig, thanks thanks for joining the podcast. Appreciate your time. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It has been quite a while since we've talked, I would say, and from Facebook and other social media posts, I can see that you're married and have children. And yet, when we were hanging out, you were the self-described bachelor to the rapture. So what happened? Well, um, I guess the whole saving myself for Jesus thing didn't really pan out when you don't necessarily believe in that version of Jesus anymore, right? So Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just one child, only one child, but hopefully to have another one. And my wife and I actually met in a seminary. So she is a practicing Catholic who was auditing an addictions course and only stayed in the course because we started hanging out. And that was like one of the only reasons I was still interested in staying in that course. So it was just, it was fun because um, I'd already worked in addiction. So it was like, what's the point of me continuing with this like intro to addiction course? But I stuck around. And um, yeah, so she was just doing... Uh, she was learning about addictions because she was taking some courses at the social work school on on uh, like indigenous background. So she's not an indigenous, but she's a teacher by trade and she was really interested in uh, indigenous education. And she wrote her thesis on how there's like a, there's a lack of resources for teaching indigenous children about their own culture because she's a religion teacher from like a religious textbook perspective within the Catholic system. But uh, I don't know if that really answered your question. It did. Um, did you put on the evaluation of the course that you guys actually were only staying in it for each other? He actually came to our wedding. I invited him and we nice. actually became pretty good friends. And uh, uh, yeah, so him and I, he's retired now. He was like 70 something at the time, but we became good friends and I was pretty happy. But we did let him know about the connection. <laughs> he put it on his card, professor and That's matchmaker. Right. Okay, so let's just start, I guess, going back to your first introduction to faith. Did that happen within the context of your family? Were they religious or outside of that? Very religious. I was raised in a super evangelical childhood. Don't I don't ever remember not going to church when I was younger. So the same church, we went to a small or mid-sized church for the town. And I went there from birth until my family left at around 16. Um, it was a 
interesting place that pretty much just taught fire and brimstone every weekend. It was pretty much, uh, you walk out on those streets, are you going to get hit by a bus and die? Are you going to heaven or hell? Pretty much some version of that from the same pastor every Sunday, which who wonders now why I have some deeply ingrained anxiety about some catastrophe happening every five seconds. No kidding. Yeah, so I was raised around it and um, went to youth group. The youth group was me and my brother, so that's a pretty good youth group. That was fun. Then I helped build the youth group and brought some of my friends. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my background. I mean, it was like a feeder church for evangelical or for manual Bible college is like how I ended up there. So I was like fully immersed in their stuff. And they had like a, they had a long weekend retreat every uh, May 2-4 where basically every summer of, Christ of high school, I would rededicate my life because, you know, I'm a piece of shit. And every time you sin, Jesus jumps out of your heart. So you got to mm -hmm. keep doing that because if you walk out on that street and the bus hits you, who knows where you're going? So you better keep bringing it in. Mm -hmm. I can remember like stealing a, a, a Hot Wheels from the nursery at that church when I was like six, six. And I was crying all night that I was going to be burning in hell because I had like taken this stinky car home. So like the the deeply ingrained like toxic shame from that church is like unbearable and i i hope it has shifted but uh i'm not too optimistic about that wow and i understand it's very contextual to that church so i i do not write off all evangelical church as that experience that was very contextual to that church fair enough i would say that i think it's probably more common than perhaps one would think like even yeah. The last person I spoke to for this podcast, we, we started talking about Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames and like the ridiculousness of that and how, yeah. which was basically like just a threat, right? Like, oh, sure. This is what happens if you don't, uh, you know, shape up. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was certainly a pretty fundamental message. I think that a lot of people growing up at that time received, yeah. at least within that wing of Christianity. I think it's like a early 90s evangelical listening to Petra and different bands like that sort of experience of Southern Ontario Christianity. Yeah. So you, you grow up within a family that is quite religious going to church every week. When you look back, is there a time where you can identify the faith kind of became yours rather than just the context that you grew up in? Or was it always kind of just a part of your life? You didn't really even think about it. And then you go off to Bible college. It's fairly enmeshed, but I would say like, one of those summer conversion experiences at like the, the, the retreat it was where I sealed the deal and, you know, started getting mentored by my youth pastor at the time and considering ministry or leadership and maybe taking it more on as something that was my own at that time. So I'd probably be like grade 11. I was the weird kid wearing like Christian t-shirts, you know, that's me preaching to the, to the, the unsaved or some epic Christian metal band shirt, just, you know, to be like controversial and start conversations. So wait, you're telling me that in high school, you were the, you were that kid? For like two years. Yeah. Unfortunately. That is shocking to me because yeah. when I met you at MacDiv, you were not that. No. So what happened? How did, how did you go from corner, corner preacher to the Craig that I knew? So during all that time, there was, I like, so I know we're here to kind of talk about some mental health stuff. And I would say, like, I definitely had my own experiences with some depression and anxiety. But, like, 
at this point in my adult life, reflecting from my clinical experience, I don't know if I would say it's any more than just like 16, 17, 8 year old, typical teenage angst, maybe a little bit more than that. The anxiety is definitely present. I definitely struggle with anxiety. But like as far as the depression side of things, I would say it was just more that transition part. And I would say basically how how whenever I looked for help with that stuff, it was like basically Christians don't deal with this or you just need to pray harder. So I just kind of got sick of that kind of stuff and being like basically told there's something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith or, you know, basically right. ship up, shape up or ship out. When you do look back, and I, I realize you're reflecting back as an adult and also as somebody who now is trained in this area, what do you think you were looking for at that age though? What, what would have actually been helpful if somebody would have come alongside you and done what? Honestly, I don't, I don't know. Like, to be honest, like it's probably was just, I just needed to go through like that experience of like growing up. Right. you know, like you just have to kind of face some of the stuff and, and figure it out on your own and like learn how to cope with it. Like maybe I, maybe if I had been more connected with some like male or even female, just some mentors in general, just someone to talk it out with. Like my my parents were great, just super busy folks, so I didn't really talk to them. And my older brothers were, I have three older brothers, and the oldest one definitely played a role. Yeah, that, that's a pretty big piece. My oldest brother has uh, schizoaffective disorder, and also some at that time is now recovered with some serious substance use stuff, like some serious stuff. So that really was very traumatic for my family and, and the church kind of basically uh, rejected my family based on my brother's actions like it was very like how could a christian parents have a son that ends up like this because they don't have an understanding of mental health right so basically ended up leaving churches because of that and there was just like we don't want to be a part of this anymore so i think kind of around that parent that part in time just kind of become disillusioned of like people say they care but they don't really care Yes, those experiences would certainly lead one to that expectation and understanding. But then you still end up going to Emmanuel, right? Which is a Christian college. Which I almost failed. I did never fail that, which I almost left in my first year. So I just, I don't know if I would say fit was a good, I don't know if I'd say it was a good fit, right? So, but I had like gone so far in the degree by the time I wanted to back out. It was not bad talking to school. It's a good school for what it is just as far as where I'm at probably wasn't a great fit and I was like in some youth ministry degree and like partway through it I'm like I really really like working with youth so that's probably not a great combination (laughs) which now I do but just like at the time when you're like 18 you're like I'm gonna work with 17 year olds like this is yeah so I just ended up there because I was basically running away because I didn't really love high school. So I was in the new curriculum. So in four years, I was done and I just wanted to like peace out and get out of Sound, which is a really small town. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to move to Kitchener. And that was like an easy way to do that. Right. Because you know, you you know where this is going. I was going to become a rock star, right? And as long as I, I can know. avoid, as long as I can avoid commitments, I could just keep going to school and pursue that, that dream, right? It's true. Um, I think if you would have found banjo earlier in your life, you would have been a world-renowned banjo player. It's true. When you look back, can you see how your understanding of faith and how you lived it out? How did it shift from crazy Christian t-shirt guy to, I don't know, whatever it was you were when you ended? 
So I, I would say like music, like we were just saying, has always played a huge role in my life, right? So like kind of getting into more of the darker music probably started to skew things and like more resonating with like that part, even like like some of the heavier Christian bands, but like also still like 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 secular stuff. So probably like corn and different things like that when I was really young, which probably corn is probably like a bad thing to say now, but like those lyrics probably really impacts my mood and I just kind of felt more like I connected with that and like I don't know I guess it was easier to be super Christian around non-Christians and, and then when I was in a whole school of it I'm just like I don't really feel like I belong here like it felt very very different because like to be honest I've never liked going to church like if I'm being entirely honest I've never liked the process of going on Sunday mornings I've never really felt like I resonate with like the uh the whole homily piece and, and worship music even at that time I was always like this is just like bad love songs written to god 95 percent of the time like you could just change the lyric and it's just a bad pop country song so right. I, a lot of stuff like that i just this is just not for me and probably by my second year i was like well i'll just get a bachelor's i'll just finish my bachelor's degree and, and go somewhere else and try and do a master's so then you went straight into your master's from emmanuel yeah i didn't take okay. anything off <laughs> no why would you why would you? straight through yeah as an aside and i will edit this out is, is there like some sort of scandal with corn now that we're not allowed to like them? You can't allow, you can't talk about new metal, right? Like I, okay. I, should, I should probably talk more about like Norma Jean and like all the cool stuff, right? Okay. I wasn't sure if they've been canceled and I just didn't. No, hear. they haven't been canceled. They're just, new metal is kind of on its way back, but like, it's probably shameful. Okay. But I, I, have be, I have to be honest. That's where it came from. And then all the other music brought. Right. Okay. It was your gateway drug. It was my gateway drug. Okay, so we meet in seminary at MACDIV. Yeah. What were you actually going there for? I don't remember what degree you were, you were going for. I was, I was doing the MDiv. Okay. So I was trying to get out of, the, out of the past, like the youth pastor stuff. So I figured I'd do an MDiv. I was still not like anti-working at a church, anti-religion. I just was maybe a little more toned down as far as like my approach to presenting it to others, which... I think was probably even a healthier view because like I always got sick of like the whole like you need to love people so that you can come to Jesus right it's more like that seems deceptive why don't we just love people for the sake of loving people you know sounds good I don't really need an agenda for being kind to people right and my Bible college experience was very you're loving them for this one purpose of bringing them to Jesus that's the only purpose of building relationships with people right that's not great that's, no. that's not I, I fully grew up in that mindset as well. It it really like warps every interaction that you have because then oh. it's always just like, how can I, how can I connect this back to Jesus? It's like, it's well, yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. It's transactional. And people can read that. Yeah, they can. Thankfully. Thankfully. That's good. So you're at MacDiv going for your Masters of Divinity, still not adverse to working in a church. Um I had, no, I had, um, I think that was when I was doing like, an, I was doing a weekend gig at a church as, as a youth pastor, but just like 10 hours, just the Sunday and like a Friday night thing, just planning events at a, at a church in Waterloo. So I was, okay. and I was still, which I find hilarious. I was on the preaching rotation too, which was, <laughs> which to this day I find amusing. Did you preach? Oh yeah. Oh, very nice. I wish yes. I, there should be recordings. Uh, it's mostly just my 
random banter about things I found interesting from the Greek. That was mostly just me <laughs> or either pretending to be Rob Bell. Like there's a combination of like, this is what it really means in the Greek. Well, I guess that is basically Rob Bell and his whole Numa thing, right? Like, yep. Yeah. Very so true. went down that, that passageway and then the contract ended. I chose not to renew it and I never worked for church again. Yeah. Wow. So what happened then? You finish your you finish your master's of divinity, and no, no. What happened was when I started my MDiv, my dad got really sick with pancreatic cancer, and that is like that's probably the biggest part that pushed me away from everything. So I wouldn't say like it's so much mental health; it was more just like a, a experience of grief and sort of that like situational trauma. Because he got sick in two thousand and nine, which was which was when I was in my MDiv. And then suffered from pancreatic cancer for three years, um, had pretty serious surgeries. I think I read, like, just looking through old emails the other day, he had 29 radiation treatments or something like that. Wow. Ridiculous amounts. Very, very brutally painful to watch. Like, he was a champ, never really complained, but, like, just to kind of see him deteriorate for three years and always being told your dad's probably going to die in the next three months your dad's going to die in the next three months for three years also kind of created some more anxiety just in general yeah and then when he passed away um i think people just don't really when we're young we're not used to friends having to deal with stuff like a parent passing away it's more like oh my grandparent passed away and this is how i dealt with it which is kind of got a little tired of that because it's a little bit of a different experience than grandparent passing away yeah and then I got into some stuff to cope in unhealthy ways. And my Christian friends did not really appreciate that. They were probably more concerned about uh, the uh, state of my soul versus my well-being. So if you have a couple of cigarettes and drink a bit, that's something we should focus on talking about. It's not like, how are you coping with this like massive loss? Right. So, Basically, other than like two people, my entire friend group just kind of pieced out over it. And they apologized later. So it's not like I'm, I'm not catastrophizing. They just said later, years later, they didn't know how to deal with it. And just kind of as a group removed themselves from the situation. So then I kind of remember being like, if this is the body of Christ and they reject me, so then what is the point of like, you know, pretending this is a, is a, is a thing worth being a part of? Hmm. Would you say that? That was 2012 when he passed away. So like I'm over that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I went to your dad's funeral. Yeah. I forgot, I forgot about that, but yeah. Thank you. Um, Oh yeah. No, just, yeah. I I remember thinking I had no idea. Yeah. Like you said, right. Like at our age and I probably was a little bit older, but even still I was like, I, I don't know what to say. And I think I was probably more worried about saying something stupid because <laughs> because I'd seen that happen and it was like nope. And I think I think that was the majority of the cases. People just didn't know what to say and didn't want to say the wrong thing, so they just kind of. So th- did something shift for you theologically as well, or it really was almost entirely experiential? Like you're just not so a I, big fan. I no, I just remember being like um, I do remember thinking like my dad is dead and so is my childhood God. Like my concept of God cannot exist the way it was before. Like that just, that's just not my experience. I remember 
people would be like arguing theodicy and like all this stuff. I'm like, I don't care about these intellectual arguments. Like, yeah, suffering exists and God exists amongst the suffering and all this suffering servant comes alongside you and suffers with you. It sounds good on paper, but in feeling, I was just so, it just hurt so much. It just didn't matter. Yeah. Would, uh, didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. yeah. So I just stopped going to church. And like, I, it was, it was kind of funny, like, cause I was, I'd started my, so when he passed away, I was literally in a grief counseling course. So I was like learning these concepts of grief counseling. He literally passed away during that course. And um, so before all of that, I had done some chaplaincy stuff. So like, that's kind of where I learned more about sort of like the mental health side of things. And like, I was more interested in sort of that counseling side of things. So I'd already, I'd already been told like preaching and that is not your strong point. So I'd already been pushing that away and trying to find out how do I like pursue more of the counseling side of things. So, mm-hmm. but that time then I did a bunch of counseling, which I found really helpful. So that was kind of what guided me to what I sort of do now career-wise. Which is? Which is I'm a registered psychotherapist and I work at a hospital full-time in Mississauga. I work for myself part-time doing clinical or doing private practice stuff as well. And your clientele is predominantly adults living with mental illness? So at the hospital, I work mostly, I work in uh, adult mental health, so it's mostly moderate to severe, so people with pretty advanced diagnosis. Um, I do group and I do individual stuff, but right now group is kind of being put on hold. But most of the folks I work with are referred to eMERGE, so it's a lot of suicide attempts. It's a lot of like really unwell. So they either have been to eMERGE and discharge or they come from from inpatient mental health and still need some support once they're in the community. Wow. And you've, you've been doing that for a while too, because I think even when I knew you, you were a chaplain on a mental health yeah. ward, it's, I think, right? Yeah, at the hospital in, uh, in Hamilton, I did a clinical pastoral education unit on, at the schizophrenia assessment unit at St. Joe's. Right. It was my first real strong, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the counseling, definitely strong suit, definitely pursue, pursue that. The, uh, the ceremony stuff, I'd stay away from that one. <laughs> Let's talk about it theologically. And okay. in a sense, it doesn't, I mean, you can, you can talk a little bit about where you're at, but I'm curious, you work with a group of individuals who are experiencing pretty significant mental mm-hmm. illnesses, mental health struggles, challenges, I guess. Yeah. Like, how do you understand it theologically or do you, is that, does that play any part in the role that you have in their life hmm. i don't know if i like so not anti-christian i'm not anti-religion i was for a while but i'm definitely not now but um like i i don't necessarily see the world through these strong theological views because like i see i see there's been a lot of spiritual abuse and spiritual oppression even in my clients right so i'm very very hesitant to use religious language when I talk about mental health, because I think it's been, I don't think the church has, has traditionally done a good job of supporting folks with mental health. Now I've been removed from the church for a long time. So that's based on my experience of removing myself from that. Right. So um, as far as theology, like I don't get into theodicy. I don't, I don't see suffering as purposeful. I guess it's purposeful, but not necessarily from like a 
theological perspective. I just, I see there's, like for me, it's more like nature versus nurture, right? So I don't see a mental health as solely a biological thing that's experienced from lacking uh, some neurotransmitters. I see it as biopsychosocial, right? So I'm big on attachment theory. So our early childhood education experiences really impact how we see and experience the world, right? So core beliefs is the world a safe place and are my are my trusted adult human beings safe people? So attachment theory. And I think traditionally the church may negatively impact some of those core beliefs, like that whole you are a worthless piece of shit that can only be saved by God that can be ingrained as a core belief. Mm-hmm. So I, if anything, from a theological perspective, try to help people maybe see an alternative view to you are enough, you are okay, you are not horrible by birth, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're not a reflection of the bad, quote unquote, bad things that you've done. So we all do things that we may regret, but they, they're not who you are as a person. So like for me, it's like guilt. I've done something and I can apologize and make amends where I work a lot with shame where shame's like I've internalized that I'm a bad human being who causes bad things to happen, right? So I guess from a theological perspective, I try and switch that shame narrative to like, you are not a terrible person. For the people that you're interacting with, if they are coming from a religious background, is that predominantly the message that they've received? Like it is a, is a completely negative, there is something wrong and broken with you. And then their, their mental health challenges. How do those two things interact? Sure. So I've just over the years, I've worked with um, folks that are either transitioning to uh, another gender. So they, they identify as a different gender or they are experiencing same-sex attraction or relationships. And I find in that group, there is a lot of religious shame that requires a lot of unpacking and affirming that it's okay to be who you are the way you are i would also say it's it's a mix like i don't necessarily dive into religious history with folks unless they bring it up right so and typically if they're bringing it up with me i'm getting a biased perspective because it's probably been a negative experience just by the nature of what i'm doing right right i've definitely worked with people that have had it uh have had positive experiences and really helps them cope and i encourage them to continue praying and doing more of that if that's something that helps them and i've definitely met people that are really connected to their faith tradition and going to their religious celebrations or bring them joy in life and encourage them to continue doing that for sure so i guess in a, in a general overview in your experience in either personal experience or your clinical experience in what ways can faith exacerbate mental health challenges and in what ways can they bring some healing or relieve some suffering so i guess if you see um like the whole like i'm not good enough without this thing that saves me and salvation is earned by repentance and i have to be sanctified like i think that narrative creates a lot of that shame that i'm talking about especially like like my big thing is attachment theory. So we're teaching these kids um, the stuff from birth when they go to church, right? Or we were. So like, those are pretty terrible things to be teaching a, a small child. <laughs> There's something wrong with you and that you need this other thing to save you, right? So like, mm-hmm. I think that could definitely be negative. But I think in the 
like my my wife's experience with religion is completely different completely positive right like i think she has a very healthy sense of faith and like i know evangelicals often like tear apart catholics but like her experience of like of catholicism has been much healthier than mine and her experience of her, her expression of religion is much healthier like I, there isn't that deeply rooted shame piece i mean there's the sacrament that they take which somehow grace is administered through but they, that's not over analyzed it's not over discussed it's just this is just part of tradition of what we do and it's like a celebratory thing too right so like i think like I know prayer and stuff like that for her is, is a very positive thing and it's how she copes. I think if you, if it's, so it's our object relations, right? So like if we think the world is out to get us and if by the world, we can also think God is out to get us, then we're not going to cope well. But if we think like the world is a safe, okay place and that like God is a safe, okay thing, then it's going to help us cope, right? So is God... <laughs> Is your concept of God mean and out to get you, or is your concept of God like supportive and wanting to help you? I think this is the first time I've ever heard Catholicism described as the less guilty religion, <laughs> but that's that's great. That's her have, experience of it, right? Right. Have you talked to her about that? Like, what is it? What is it specifically about the faith that she learned, or the way that she saw it lived out, that is like so different from from yours, and and the shame that came along with that, and the anxiety. I think it's just like it's part of who you are but it's not all of who you are so it's not like it's not all defining so i think like and it's also like i don't know she just has had a healthier experience of she just hasn't been told god strongly dislikes you and you need to do these things to be better right there's just mm-hmm. hasn't been that strong of a push like and I mean, before COVID, I was going to mass every couple of weekends. I had, a, I had an agreement that I would at least make a show up here and there. But like, I wasn't, I wasn't hearing those sermons of like, you are going to go to hell if you walk out in front of this street. There was a lot of fluff that my deeply rooted evangelicalism would like rebel against. But like, it's just a different experience. I think it was more like of a supportive social gathering than you know like. A, make or break you're going to hell experience so you have a you have a son yep now i understand you and your wife are on different theological uh in different theological places but if you're bringing him up with at least some awareness of god and you know i don't know exactly what you guys have talked about but what what will you teach him about god like what do you want him to know that's that is a struggle for me my wife does teach him a lot about uh, God. She has lots of storybooks about God and like about Jesus and all of that jazz. I I will not teach this fire and brimstone stuff ever. That will play no place in my my upbringing of my child. I think this piece because I think like there's a piece to being connected to a community, right? So I think that is okay. However, there's there has been conversations like I mean my deeply rooted Protestant beliefs and submitting to the Pope is something that I just, I can't do even as like a non-practicing evangelical. So like, right. I, I, I won't take the sacrament out of respect for the fact that it's a closed table. So like, I don't participate there. At this point, I haven't converted because I don't see the point. I'm sure he'll have questions of why do you, why does mom take the sacrament and why do, why will he be encouraged to? But 
I mean, he's been baptized Catholic. We did the Catholic baptism. I see it as like a celebration of of joy and you know as 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 a commitment to trying to raise him to be. I don't know. It's a good question. We have talked about it, but it's one of those things where, I, as he gets older, I'm sure it'll be more of a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm not negative towards God, but I try to be a little more neutral than maybe I was before open to the idea that there is something out there that is caring and supportive. Yeah, that certainly yeah. has not, uh, has not been your experience in teaching. That is for sure. Something I mean, like, I, I guess I kind of look at it as like the 12 steps, like even just from the addiction language of like recognizing, and even I try to recognize that there is something outside of me that's greater than me that I have to somehow submit to at times. Right. So like seeing something outside of myself. So, like I would definitely like you asked me what are my religious views now where I said I was like an existential Christian at best but I still like I still believe in some sort of like Christian concept of God I just don't know what that looks like for me there's really no I don't have any requirements of like you have to be baptized you have to say this prayer you have to read these read this book right it is interesting you know you bring up well I brought up about your son and I've thought too often about what do I want my boys to know about God and coming to the realization that like, I don't want them to know really anything about the God that I grew up with. Right. And that, that isn't to say that I don't believe in Christ or, you know, church and things like that. But yeah, I think our experiences were quite similar in the sense of like the, the anxiety and the shame and that just, I, I don't want anything of that to even remotely come near them. So it's tricky though, because if you haven't experienced something different for yourself, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you share that with somebody else? So you trust your wife who's had a po- more positive experience to share more of her experience and you try to not get in the way with sarcastic comments when it's bringing up traumatic religious experiences for you. <laughs> yes, that is, that is good advice. Have you seen, outside of your wife and involvement in the Catholic Church kind of through her, have you seen any expressions of Christianity that you thought, okay, this is pretty different than what I experienced and and this seems healthy and healing? Um, I won't say no, but I mean, I've probably been pretty removed from other than this Catholic experience. Like I would say I've, I respect most of my uh, past Prof's experience of the religion and how they talked about their experience of Christianity, but I mean that just hasn't been my experience. Right. I just I just remember uh, I won't say the name, but I know you like this prof as well. So I mean he came up one of our profs that we mutually had from biblical theology came up to Owen Sound after my dad had passed away, and he's just like you know Craig, some guys like you and I were just fucked. Like this is just this is just the expression of Christianity for us. Wow. Like, I will never have an answer for why stuff like this happens to people like us, but some of us, it just happens. And other people, there's just not their experience. And I just remember just thinking about that. Was that? And I would say that's a very genuine experience. Like, I would say he has had gone through, he has gone through a lot. And like, this is just where he's at. He just, there is no answer for why some of us experience stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Was that helpful to hear at that time? Uh, <laughs> helpful to give me permission to go off and do what I want yes okay fair enough yeah grief is 
I don't even know what to say about that. It's, it seems uh, overwhelming, I guess. Like it, it just seems all encompassing. Like there's no part of you that it doesn't touch and yeah. somehow shape. And yeah, I don't know. You're not the same person after. And that's like what the literature says as well, right? Like you, you, you create some new form of normality, but like things do completely change when it's a huge loss like that, right? And your experience with the world does completely change as well. It can, it can come back to some form of normality, but for, for a while there, you're just kind of existing as best you can. You're not too concerned about theological concepts at that point in time. Can we talk about uh, like substance use for a bit? Because yeah. I know I know some of your work was in yeah. supportive housing, right, for individuals with substance use disorder. Yeah, so I worked at um, supportive housing in Waterloo. I was the tenant support worker there for years, and then I was the program manager, so I did addiction counseling. But it's like uh, is and was a housing first approach. So it was thirty unit apartment building. Everyone that lived there had uh, experience with long term persistent homelessness. So multiple years, multiple stints of being homeless. No requirement for sobriety, no requirement for mental health thing, just move them in. Definitely an eye-opening experience, definitely worked for some folks, definitely not worked for some folks, but I mean, I do believe that housing is a human right, so I'm not gonna say there's a love, you need to be housing ready. However, some people need some pretty intensive support to manage, right? So like, it was like, like pretty heavy alcoholism was mostly what I saw. And it's pretty pervasive, right? Like, because we think, oh, it's just alcohol, but it, it, it rots your body, right? Mm-hmm. When you've been drinking that hard for that long, it's got some pretty long-term health impacts. Yeah. What is a helpful way for somebody that is coming from faith to understand addiction? Like, what is something that is honest and true about what addiction is and maybe even about, like, the character of God? Okay, so addiction is just as, to me, is just the surface level of things that are often going underneath, right? So typically we don't keep doing things if it doesn't work. So at some point that substance was playing a role that was helping that person cope or survive, right? So if I was homeless on the streets, not knowing where my next meal is, numbing that out might be how I get to the next day without dying, right? Or without giving up. And like my life is completely miserable and I found something that helps me feel a little bit better my brain learns that and I continue to do it. Like that. It's just the behavioral pattern of reinforcing that, right? So to me, it's never about the substance. I mean, it's we and we all find coping methods for things. Some are just seen as positive and some are seen as negative, right? So I think like not judging the person based on the substance they use and trying to see them more as like someone who's probably survived a lot of trauma if, if it's persistent ongoing homelessness or something like that. Someone who's been through a lot and someone that, you know, at some point this was helping them and now it's getting in the way, right? So trying to lessen sort of that stigma, even with mental health, right? Like we, we are, we're all on a continuum and substance use is on a continuum, right? So it's when it kind of gets in the problematic area that we start to judge that person. But I mean, how many successful bankers use cocaine on the weekend for fun, but we don't judge them because they're functional, right? So mm-hmm. it just all depends on where it's at. But I think like it also kind of creates a disconnection from others, right? So most of the folks I worked with weren't really connected with their families, weren't really connected with friends, right? So it can also be very isolating, which reinforces the desire to want to use, right? So mm-hmm. 
if you can help someone get connected to a community, which is why like sober living and different places like that can be so effective because they're part of something else, right? They're part of belonging. And why AA? I'm not like I'm not a huge twelve step guy, but like I do see the benefits of the community of users, right? Mm-hmm. But I think just seeing it as like as how do you help this person cope with this pain they're trying to avoid, right? Mm-hmm. And like it's it goes back to suffering, right? So I guess you see like how could people of faith or the church like we? I mean, I've been removed from the church for so long, so I'm not sure what how people commonly see substance use, but I think there's no greater sin, right? So why do we judge these folks for what they do versus buddy who? Yeah, I'm not going to throw in some other sin, but why is this on such the top of the, the hierarchy of, of sins that we're going to judge people on, right? Mm-hmm. Not excluding them from church if, while they're actively using. Why, why is there a requirement for good behavior to attend something, right? Yeah, I think, I think part of the reason is because it is, for the most part, so visible, right? Yeah. Like it's, it is addiction, at least when it gets to a certain point, it's really messy and really yeah. damaging to a lot of different people. So that's probably yeah. one of the reasons why it is singled out so much. Um, but again, like I think oftentimes what you were saying about the suffering, that's the part that often gets lost in it, that it is, yeah, the focus is on the behavior and not so much on the trauma underneath that's, that's driving it, right? And rarely when someone's a heavy substance user, are they getting that rush or enjoying it anymore. It's like, uh, I have to have this thing to keep going or I feel terrible if I don't from withdrawal or like there's no option. I'm just so used to having this thing in my system that I can't function without it, right? So it's not so much anymore about party time and feeling good and getting high. It's just survival at that point in time, right? So, mm-hmm. And I know particularly for alcohol and I think opioids as well, if they were to stop too suddenly, they would die, so... Yeah. So that has to be medically assisted with like different medications and stuff like that too, right? Like I I worked at an awful for profit treatment center, which I would never recommend attending the the for-profit system. I'm sure there are good ones out there. However, I felt like I was just a salesman trying to keep people to pay 30 grand a month just to stay. So talking about addiction, I think it's appropriate to say be careful what you're what you're accessing for treatment because uh, some of those places are just out there to, to, to get money right and very cautious because there's, there's no regulation there's no like board that says this is what you should have and some of these places say they'll properly detox you and, and they don't kind of a wild west right thanks you can edit this part out but my wife said make sure you're not too negative about god so what have i been too negative she's i'm i won't listen to it because i hate my voice but she will no no you've been very uh, measured in your okay. yes in your analysis of okay. your experience but I think yeah I think coming coming from that background I don't know how you would end up having a great understanding and view of God and I think that was just the nature of of that church and like yeah my my great aunt is like this person I brought my my parents to faith and she went to that church so that's like kind of how we ended up there that she gave everyone their first bible including myself and like just like this huge played this huge role which is why we ended up there but like that one was just a an issue with a pastor that embraced the authority and would not leave like she just she attended there she went to school through there and then she was setting up shop and not leaving you said your whole family attended and that you have some older brothers did 
did it have the same kind of impact on them as it did on you? Well, let's say there's no Christians in the family. So, <laughs> okay, that answers that. Yeah, the one, my second oldest brother closest to me is an atheist. Uh, second oldest is militantly anti-Christian. And the oldest is just never really been well. Right. Have you guys talked about that? Is that because of just not, church not experiences? Years, but like, yeah, that church is messed up. To the point where my mom was like, yeah, I'm kind of sorry about that experience. Like She acknowledged like this was probably not a good place. Wow. It's hard to see it when you're in it because you're so buying in, like buying into that view of faith, right? And it's, mm -hmm. like, it's manipulation. That's all it is. Spiritual manipulation. And the stakes are so high, right? Because along with that, message is that this is the re the really true way and like other churches don't they're soft or whatever and you know you are taking a huge risk if you are not in line with what they're teaching because hell hell awaits mm -hmm. if you, if you step out of line so so you asked this is probably a better representation of what transitioned me away from that view is like i read the love wins book connected with Rob Bell's view from Love Wins. I know a lot of people don't connect with that, but connected with that, like if God's goal is to save all of, uh, all of creation, who's, who am I to say that only this one small percentage of people that have ever lived are going to be a part of that plan, right? Right. And then going from that, not so much kind of universalism to more like then becoming an nihilist, like I don't even believe in ongoing at that time, it was transitioned to if hell does exist, maybe I just cease to exist and be consumed in, in hell, right? So just transitioning away from that. So now I still believe, I still live with things I have going to hell, but I just I just self-soothe by saying, even when you go, you'll just be consumed in the flames and you won't have to continue on suffering, right? Like it's, it's so deeply rooted in anxiety that that hell thing will never be gone. So even even now? Oh, yeah. And that's like core beliefs, right? Like I recognize it's not accurate, but like from a therapy perspective, I have to just acknowledge that it's there, self-soothe it, and then move back on. Wow. Yeah, man, that is, that's deep, deeply ingrained. Oh, for sure. Because we can logically change our mind on things, but like the feeling doesn't necessarily go away, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I think a lot of those things are just automatic too. Automatic thoughts. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I guess like what, what actually has been healing for you? Like these things that were so difficult as a part of your, your faith background and obviously still having some pretty longstanding effects on you, but what, what helped you kind of move through it? My wife, we met right, right after my dad passed away. She was a super positive person. She also didn't put up with my shit. So she like challenged me and pushed me on stuff, which is really, really helpful. Right. So, and then years down the road, I think becoming a dad a couple of years ago has played like a huge role in trying to see the world in a better way to help him have a healthier experience. Like I'm probably over attachment aware, which I imagine being like a therapist kid's going to be somewhat traumatizing for him because I'm right. attachment secure. Is he, is he, does he go and navigate and come back to me for reassurance? Like constantly worried about his anxiety, but he seems to be doing all right. That's good. Yeah. Although he is maybe a little anxious, but being anxious about crossing the road in Branton is a good thing. So I will reinforce <laughs> that anxiety. Plus he's growing up in a pandemic. So I'm sure some of, of that is, <laughs> some of that is probably oozed in, unfortunately. Yeah. Just the general atmosphere, right? Yeah, for sure. I am curious, like any other 
I guess what other things from your background do still cause anxiety? So like, it's a good question. I don't know. I'm sure there are like deeply rooted automatic thoughts that pop up all the time, but I'm just, I'm just, there's always as because of the anxiety, I would say the one thing is just always in the sense of impending doom. There's just like always the sense that something, and mind you, that's probably reinforced by the, like my dad's experience of, ongoing suffering and being told he's going to die every couple of months right so like it's not as bad as maybe it was but like there's just always this sense of something bad is going to happen and just trying to self-soothe that right mm-hmm. and clinically I, I know where that comes from and it's just something that i have to like acknowledge and, and move on from just radically accept that that's a part of my experience well thank you so much for your time and sharing a bit of your story and uh, especially your clinical experience. I think that's a pretty unique perspective that um, will be really helpful for a lot of people. That's our show for today. Special thanks to Mark Calvitis for the podcast cover art. This podcast deals with some pretty serious topics. If you are struggling with your mental health or are thinking about suicide, please reach out to a trusted friend or some other person you know loves and cares for you. There are also professional supports available. Please go online and visit Crisis Services Canada to find the distress centres and crisis organisations nearest you, or call the Canada Suicide Prevention Service at 1-833-456-4566. They are available to talk 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you are under 29, the Kids Help Phone has professional counsellors available to provide confidential and anonymous care. Call them toll-free at one 800 668 6868 or text the word connect to 686868. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions about today's or any other episode, please email podcastdarkly21 at gmail.com. If you appreciate and enjoy this podcast, please subscribe or give it a rating on whichever podcast app you use, since apparently that makes it more likely other people will find it. Finally, because it's always good to end with a blessing, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. As always, thanks for listening.